Hello and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all things transportation, anything that gets you from here to there. I am the traffic anchor and the transportation reporter for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber. And if you would like to be a part of the show, you can always contact me on any of the contact links in the description of this fine program. Or you could always call our listener hotline, 303-832-0217. And uh, leave your message there. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about an interesting concept in the world of recreational vehicles. It seems that RVing is not just a major hobby for retirees, but for many young people too. Because I, I think you can include the van life people in the conversation Uh, as well as conversion buses and people who work on the road all together in the RV life group, right? Well, in just a little bit, I'm going to be speaking with Joel Holland. And Joel is the CEO of something called Harvest Hosts. And to put it simply, Harvest Hosts is a membership service for RVers. You pay a a certain, I think it's $99 for the year. And then then they help you find very unique overnight places to park and stay for the night. Nothing like a traditional KOA campground, anything like that. Uh, it, it's a pretty interesting, and, and when I'm saying unique, it's it's a lot of wineries and farms and breweries and just, I mean, all kinds of different places. Um, but I also wanted to speak to Joel because he's in the RV lifestyle, is to talk about the state of RV travel and, and about gas prices and what it's doing to the hobby and the lifestyle and all of that and where it's going from here. Is this going to be maybe the last summer of big RV travel um, and then it's going to fall off as, as the economy well, as, as a lot of people say, it's going to tank. So <laughs> I sure hope it doesn't, but a lot of people smarter than me uh, believe we are not going to be going upward, but be going downward. Anyway, uh, that's going to be coming up, an interview coming up in just a few minutes. Uh, first, I, I, <laughs> I saw this story from the city, city of Colorado Springs. They uh, bought some new street sweepers. So, of course, when a city buys new equipment of any sort... Uh, in this case, the street sweepers, they had to have a public naming contest. And so here are the names of the four new street sweepers in Colorado Springs. Dirt Reynolds. Creative, I guess. Uh, Maybe they could just paint or or put a big, thick mustache right out of the front of it. It'd be more like uh, the Burt Reynolds, right? Uh, The next one is Bruce Springs Clean. Maybe they can nickname that one the boss. Uh, this is this is my personal favorite, Sweepy McSweepface. <laughs> but I always giggle at those kind of names, like the Bodie McBoatface and, and all the others when you hear those. Uh, and the final name of the Colorado Springs new street sweeper, Kevin. Dun-dun-dun. I'm pretty sure that's from the Disney movie Up, where the kid names the bird they find, Kevin. It's It's fine. Kind of cute, kind of dumb at the same time. Uh, it's it's whatever. Uh, but it, <laughs> but which one is your favorite? You could uh, if if you could name a street sweeper, if you had if you had the the chance to name a street sweeper, what would you name it? You can you can leave a message on the uh, listener hotline at three zero three eight three two zero two one seven if you have a creative name for a. Uh, street sweeper. Maybe I'll send it off to Colorado Springs and say, "Hey, if you if you have any new ones, <laughs> here are a couple. Here are a couple more." Uh, a few weeks back, I aired a story on TV 
about how the airlines handle what flights to cancel when there is severe weather or employee disruption, something that we're seeing play out right now in spades the past few weeks. Well, maybe I should replay my interview with aviation analyst Jay Ratliff, who predicted much of what we are seeing right now. It was back in episode 239 in early April. Jay and I were talking about what could happen for summer travel, and he nailed the state of flying as it's as it's going on right now with flight cancellations and upset passengers and all the like. So he, he really nailed it. Um, and, and I mention all this because I received a letter to the Driving You Crazy inbox telling me about this woman's experience with one of the airlines. First, let me pre- present the story, and then we can go on from there with the uh, letter to the Driving You Crazy inbox. So this was my TV version because the online version is much longer. You can read it right now. Uh, the link is in the description of this show, but it goes right to the Driving You Crazy uh, page on the Denver Channel Facebook page. And you can see, because I, I tend to write, the, the way I write these stories, I, I write them as a basically a web story first. So I put all the information I have uh, out there and then I tone it down and edit it down for television. Because you can't, I can't have a seven-minute television piece, um, and so, so this is the this is what I put there on for TV. I said, "This is the question." Dean from Lakewood writes, "What's driving you crazy?" I recently got an alert that said a hundred flights have been canceled at DIA Denver International Airport in anticipation of bad weather. I am really curious about how this works at the airlines. What's the logic? How do they select what flights to cancel, etc.? Well, I found out that there are dozens of factors airlines consider when they're forced with the prospect of canceling flights due to bad weather or if they have, especially bad weather, but also if they have employee disruptions. Each airline handles these, we'll talk about the bad weather events uh, mostly, and they all handle them a, a bit differently. So I reached out to nine of the major airlines that fly to and from Denver International Airport and uh, even as of now, and I've, I've asked them again, uh, only four of them responded to me for this story. Southwest Airlines tells me they use a proprietary computer program that optimizes the cancellation decisions by taking into account the number of other flights available, crew availability, aircraft availability, and anticipated duration of the weather event. The goal, they tell me, is to always limit the disruption to customers, employees, and aircraft flow. United Airlines tells me they use a combination of people in their National Operations Center, I believe that's still in Chicago, and computers when deciding what flights to cancel, again, looking at the least disruptive flow. Allegiant Airlines tells me sometimes it's a a variety of regulatory entities, such as the FAA, air traffic control, and even individual airports that can uh, lead to forcing cancellations of flights. And when the flights are canceled, they say they do their best to reaccommodate passengers into other flights. Delta Airlines tell me the bottom line for them is they want to impact the least amount of people for the least amount of time. One consideration they look at is if a flight has a lot of people connecting, they try their best to get those flights out. But when then flights do get canceled, there's a computer system that will rebook passengers automatically on the next available option. I also reached out to American and Frontier and Spirit, Alaska and JetBlue. None of those airlines got back to me even after I requested multiple uh, times for comment. 
And since this was a uh, TV version, I then went on and I included some comments from CEO of Velo Airlines, Andrew Levy, who I talked to a few episodes back, um, and also some comments from National Aviation Analyst Jay Ratliff, who I talked about a little bit ago. Both of those men I had on the show in episodes 239 and 242. Again, you can see, uh, you can listen to those from the links that are in the description of the show. All right, so now you know that part of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. And here is the le- <laughs> Do anybody remember Paul Harvey anymore? All right, here's a quick aside. Uh, when I was first doing radio back, oh, forever ago, I was uh, still in college, and I was working for this uh, AM radio station. It was up in Meeker? No, Meeker, is that right? Yeah, maybe. Uh, Millicent, something like that. Anyway, in, in South Georgia, it was north of Statesboro. And so I uh, was working for this radio station, this guy, I, I was supposed to be just uh, pretty much monitoring all the national broadcasts and everything and make sure that they get they all get on the air and the Rockies, uh, or the Rockies, uh, the Bra- Atlanta Braves at that time, make sure everything got on the air right. But the thing that he, the, the general manager said to me, he said, whatever you do, you, you could mess up anything you want. It's, it, it's not that big of a deal if you mess something up, so don't worry about that. But what you don't want to mess up ever is Paul Harvey. <laughs> I'll never forget that. Uh, don't ever mess up Paul Harvey. And and to my recollection, I never messed up Paul Harvey. All right, so let me go back to the mailbag. It was Dana from Fort Collins who says, This story you did on the airlines is driving me crazy. Mostly the comments from United Airlines. The short version of my story is, I took a flight on September 3rd, 2021, That was scheduled to leave at 3.40 p.m. It was delayed by five hours for takeoff. The time changed 10 different times. The gate changed eight different times. The whole time, they were bouncing a plane full of people, seniors included, to the eight different gates on the B concourse. The plane was sitting in Colorado Springs, not moving because they said weather, in quotes. Can they explain their justification for making us move to eight different gates? I couldn't get any answer from them. Other than one rep stated, quote, we are hoping you would reschedule, unquote. Why would I reschedule? I had plans that needed to be in Texas when I planned on being there. Their delays caused us to get into Texas after midnight. Everything was closed. Little to no ride options, leaving us to scramble to find people to pick us up. I spent a lot of time in contact with reps at the airline via messaging and emails for them to not take responsibility for their actions. By the way, the weather was not that bad. If a plane had continued north about five minutes, they would have flown out of the supposed storm. They were blaming their unprofessionalism on, so they would not have to reimburse anyone. They did not offer apologies. They did not offer travel vouchers and basically said, we didn't owe you anything. We're not responsible for the weather. I am out over $200 for a one-way flight. Thank God I came back on American, whom I've never had issues with. Thank you for listening. Dana. I don't know why Dana was out $200 for a one-way flight when she she made it. Anyway, Dana, I'm not going to say that weather wasn't the main issue in your situation because I don't know. I do have a suspicion that employee shortages probably added to the delay. Also, as I understand it, your gate issue there, gates are reserved for a certain time frame for specific flights. And since your flight was delayed coming to DIA, United had to clear that gate to accommodate another plane that was coming into that gate. 
because United has a hub there in Denver, lots of planes are coming in and out. And so they'll reserve a gate. Let's say it's gate number 47. So 47 has uh, the plane from Des Moines in here for a half an hour, and then it's gone. And then uh, there's going to be some open time. And then a, the, the, a plane from Scranton is coming in, and it's going to be there for a certain time, and then it's gone. And then here comes a flight from Dallas, or what, you know. And so that gate is being used often. So they only have a certain amount of time for that gate. That's probably why your gate was moved to an open gate. Then they would announce, I'm sure, your gate change and move you to another gate, a one that they anticipated being open for the time that that plane from Colorado Springs was going to make it to Denver. So they were probably getting the local gate agents, were probably getting some information from the gate agents in Colorado Springs saying, all right, we're, we're hoping to get off here in the next half an hour. Do you have a gate for us? Okay, we have this gate. We'll send everybody over to gate 28. All right, so a half an hour goes, well, we can't fly yet. We can't fly yet. Maybe we'll send them over to gate 33. And then, so that kind of a thing. And another one of the problems, as Jay Ratliff said to me, is if a crew, in this case, let's say the one in Colorado Springs, is waiting to fly the airplane and it would be over time for their flight delay or their flight day, they would have to get a new crew. And that was also probably, part of the problem probably they might have been trying to scramble to get a new crew into Denver because the flight from the Springs to Denver and then going on to Texas would maybe put them over time and they wouldn't be able to do that so at least they brought somebody in so then you could fly on to Texas and and keep on going but but I I don't know if they were lying to you because I, there really isn't any way to prove it unless you interview the pilots and the flight attendants and 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 that that was uh, from the Springs to Denver from the, from that flight. And since this happened nine, ten months ago, that's not going to happen. So I, there's no way for me to find that out. And there's probably no way to follow up with the airline because they, I'm sure, don't have a record of what happened. They probably have a record of when the flight left, when it got to Denver, what gate it was, and then how it moved on. Um, so I, I there, there's not a whole lot I can I can help you with. Um, in this situation, Dana, I, I wish there, there was more I could do. I empathize with you and, and I wouldn't have want to been in that same situation, but sometimes it, it, it is what it is and you just have to deal with it, especially with the airlines. And uh, there is obviously a passenger bill of rights and, and you do have rights as a passenger of, about being delayed for a certain amount of time and being compensated for all of that. Um, I, I don't know if that, maybe changing the gate from every couple of hours or, or however they did it m- might have nullified some of those rights in your case. And and maybe they knew that. I, I don't know. And, and maybe it's just how I deal with things. But in, in my older age, uh, I know there's a decent chance that my travel will be affected by whatever is uh, happening at the airport or with the weather or with the airlines. And, and I try to be prepared for it the best I can and just deal with it because sometimes you can't do anything but just be there and it's frustrating and it's awful, but you just, you just got to deal with it. Right. Um, maybe I, it would actually be a, probably a good idea if I find somebody who can be here on the show and explain all of the different passenger rights that you have when flights are delayed, uh, and maybe even in your situation. I think that would be an interesting 
conversation. So I'm going to write that down and we'll see if I can see if I can get that hooked up. But anyway, honestly, my best advice is just go to the airport knowing that you're that everything is probably going to go haywire. And if it doesn't, then your expectations are going to be higher, right? You're, you're going to have better a better trip if you if you think that everything's going to go uh, awful and, and it doesn't. And it actually works out pretty well. So it's just, and actually, um, my colleagues, the morning anchor, Brian Sanders, who just flew to Florida for the Stanley Cup final for our coverage down there, he was going to be going direct to Tampa, but they had to divert to Orlando because of weather. And they diverted to Orlando, sat there for a bit, and then flew on to or uh, back to Tampa. So it can happen. And I'm sure it, he was uh, delayed and it wasn't fun to land and then have to wait and then go take off for a very short flight from Orlando to Tampa. But again, that's that's what happens. Sometimes you, you just you have to deal with the unexpected, especially when it comes to airline travel any days, uh, any especially when it comes to airline travel anymore. So I'm sorry. I wish I had better news. Well, summer is the traditional time for road trips, right? Especially camping trips. Some people like to camp in a tent, not me, uh, while others like to bring part of their home, if not their entire home, with them. That's, I guess, probably more my style. Well, there is a prediction from boom to bust of a summer travel season. So I want to explore some of those predictions with a special guest. Joel Holland is the CEO of Harvest Host. And and to put it simply, Harvest Host is a membership service for RVers that helps them find very unique overnight places to park and stay for the night. Nothing like the traditional KOA campgrounds that we maybe have stayed at in the past. Now, to talk more about this service, as well as the other issues around summer road trip travel, especially as it comes to camping and RVing, is Joel Holland. Joel, thanks for being here on the world-famous Driving a Crazy podcast. Oh, thanks for having me, Jason. This is one of my favorite topics. This will be fun. Well, yeah, I I think it's going to be fun, too. It's going to be a good conversation, and we're we're going to be talking more about what Harvest Host is, because it seems pretty interesting and how it works, and we'll talk about that in just a bit. But I first wanted to know how you got interested in this area. It sounds like you and your wife are quite interested and and avid RVers. Totally. Uh, You know, it started with burnout. We were living in Washington, D.C., got tired of city life, um, you know, got tired of traffic. And we had this romantic notion that driving across the country would somehow, you know, free us <laughs> from, from, from our, our bonds. And, and, and it turned out it was true. So we impulsively bought an RV. We spent two years RVing through all the lower 48 states, thought we'd get bored with it. Um, and instead, we just fell in love with the lifestyle. Um, on that trip, by the way, we ended up in Colorado. We were kind of looking for the next place to live ended up in the mountains. We're in Vail, fell in love, drove the RV up to a house, bought it. And, uh, and we've been here six years since. So now, now we, we love RVing and we love Colorado. <laughs> there you go. So now, now you're, you have the best of both worlds, right? Totally. As I understand it, it you didn't originally come up with this idea for Harvest Hosts. We'll talk more about that in just a minute, but uh, you did buy it from the original owners. Why did they start it? Yeah. So the original owners, Don and Kim Green, had gone to France um, and rented an RV. And there's there was a program there where they'll let you stay at wineries overnight for free, park in these beautiful settings. And the social contract was you'd buy a couple of bottles of wine. And that was the give back. 
And they said, well, this would be cool to take to the United States. There's so many great wineries and farms. Why don't they host our viewers and, you know, and in return, they'll buy their products. So that was the concept. They started the program 10 years ago and God bless them. They built this network of 600 locations out of thin air. Um, I then met them and said, I love this program. Could I please buy it and try to grow it? Are, are you more of a fan of the smaller trailer RVs or the Airstreams or maybe the larger fifth wheels or, or, or the all-in-one encompassing RV vehicle? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. There's a different vehicle for every person and, 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 and every type of adventure. So we have two RVs in our family. We have a larger fifth wheel. So, so a 35 foot fifth wheel, all the slides come out, things massive. But when we travel with our daughter and all of our pets, it, trust me, the space is great, right? Um, but then we have a truck camper for getting out in the backcountry here in Colorado, because that thing we can just go anywhere with. So it's, it's definitely a personal preference. Um, and we, we tend to like the big and the small and nothing in between. And, and it seems like, especially here in the West, Obviously, in Colorado, with so many of these, and I'm sure you've heard them because I've talked to them, uh, the companies that will take a van and convert it into a camper van, and then people are living the camping lifestyle. So it seems like it's pretty popular, not only for the traditional retirees who are out there in their RVs, but also for the for the younger singles or the couples who will maybe convert a van or a bus or whatever into a place where they can live kind of like you and your wife did and then travel the country working and living in their vehicle because basically with an internet connection now, you, you can live and work from just about anywhere. Absolutely. So we're seeing a massive influx uh, of family RVers because you can take the kids on the road, give them an education on the road, uh, especially if they're, too, if they're too young for school or during COVID, you know, when school is out, you know, teach them on the road. But yes, being able to work from the road has changed the game. Cell networks were the first enabler of that. I just got the Starlink uh, satellite device last week for RVers. Now, now literally you can work from anywhere. Um, and I noticed here on our driveway, four of the five houses have RVs parked in their driveways. So, so it's, uh, I don't know, it's just becoming a nice, you can even do it as a weekend warrior, a jumping off point to go into the mountains if you don't want a full time. I, I totally understand what you what you say about kids and getting them outside of the school and, and letting them learn from the road because there's nothing like learning from experience. Experience is the best teacher no matter what the experience is, good or bad. But I think some people, and, and maybe I fall into this category, I still think that the kids should have some kind of a structured school environment just because not necessarily they, they have to have it, but it almost they almost thrive better in, in that kind of environment too. The socialization is super important. You know, absolutely. Um, I think you can have both. I mean, I think that's the beauty of road travel is that you can be in school and then take the opportunities on the weekends and, and when school is out to hit the road and, and go see, you know, amazing stuff. My guest is Joel Holland. He's the CEO of Harvest Host. It's a membership service for RVers. We'll talk about more in just a second. No doubt that the current craziness situation of the world and the gas prices and all the issues around travel right now has to make people rethink some of their travel plans and RV plans, right? Especially when they see that they're filling up their their truck or their RV and and the and the price on the and the pump reads like two hundred and fifty or three hundred dollars. 
Yes, but you know what's interesting? So, so there's no doubt gas prices are up. And when I go fill up, it does not feel as good as it used to. <laughs> but anecdotally, I booked a plane ticket last week to go from Denver to DC. There are like six direct flights a day, three different airports. It's a, usually a cheap ticket, $200. I paid $1,300 a person for economy. So while the gas prices might be $5 a gallon compared to $1,300 for a plane ticket, I think gas is looking pretty good. Uh, and I think my thesis is people are still going to travel. No one's staying home, right? Like COVID taught us one thing. Who knows the next time we're going to get stuck in our houses. Let's take advantage of this time. So I'm not seeing in the, in the travel industry a slowdown in RVing. We're seeing people stay closer to home. So they're taking shorter trips, like the cross-country trip might be off the table, but you're going in the backyard to see all the cool national parks and state parks. But don't you think that the people maybe this year, especially in this summer, have already budgeted for their trips and they've already purchased their airfare or their RV rental or whatever. And, and, and for them, the money is basically already spent. So it isn't that big of a deal if they have to eat another thousand dollars or so because everything else, you know, the food prices and restaurant prices, all that kind of stuff is higher rather than just cancel and lose their deposits or, or the non-refundable tickets that they've already purchased. Yes, I, I totally agree. And in fact, I think because we all went through this during COVID, we had to cancel some stuff. And even if it was refundable, things fall through the cracks. There's fees here and there. There's credits we've never used. We don't want to do that again. And so people are sticking with their trips. That's exactly what we're seeing, is that very few people are changing their trips for the summer because of these new prices. So what does that mean for next summer and the summer after that? Because this is all baked in for this summer where people are going to be going out regardless. But next summer they might hunker down and say, I can't afford what's going on right now. And, you know, there's so many crazy bad stories out there about impending food shortages and gas prices at $10 and all kinds of craziness. So maybe it's, this is the last hurrah. Yeah. Well, I look, I, I think as humans, we tend to over, we, we, we overblow a lot of things. We always think that that the end is coming. Um, (laughs) And look, if that means that it gets us off the couch and onto the open road this season, great, <laughs> because I think we should always be taking advantage of traveling when you can, because who knows what the future holds. But I don't think it's going to be that bad. Look, if prices keep going up, it, that that's terrible. But people need to travel. I think it's like a part of who we are to stay sane. We'll find other ways to save money, right? Maybe, I'll, maybe I won't get the Starbucks latte, right? There's a gallon of gas. Boom. <laughs> It's kind of sad that a Starbucks latte is the same as a gallon of gas. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's a gallon of fuel. Either way you say it, it you know, it's fuel in you or it's fuel in your car. <laughs> That's right. I'll make my fuel at home in my Keurig and then I'll get my gas. <laughs> both, both of them make your, make your, uh, make your car or you go. <laughs> That's right. Uh, are people willing, you think, as we're talking about now, Harvest Host and this membership service, do you think people are willing to pay a bit more for unique camping locations rather than just the plain old boring old KOA campgrounds? Yes, I think there's a place for both. And so campgrounds serve a very utilitarian purpose and and we're always going to need them. I think Harvest Host adds this new category where you can now stay at wineries and farms and breweries, right? Like go, go do a tasting and then go walk back to the RV and drive nowhere while you're parked in a vineyard. Heck yeah. I mean, that's an amazing experience. Um, and we're not even asking people to pay more for it. All we're asking is to take the money you save from camp, a uh, campground and spend it with a local business. And, and our members this year are, are doing that in droves, which is great. 
So talk more about how it actually works. What am I signing up for as this membership and what do I get for it? Totally. So it's a very simple program. Uh, you pay about $100 per year uh, to be a member. That gets you unlimited access to all 3,500 of our locations all over um, North America, mainly you know the U.S. You can go stay for free uh, at any location you want. So I'll use Palisade you know, down the road from us here. We have a bunch of beautiful wineries there. Go stay at one of these wineries. There's no cost to stay overnight. There's a social contract where you'll you know buy the local wine, do a tasting, and that's it. And so it's a very inexpensive membership. The goal is to have you support the businesses that you visit. Um, and our members this year, by the way, will spend over $40 million with these small businesses. And we don't take any of that. So it's a, it's a, it's a good program for the RVers, undoubtedly. And it's a great program for the small businesses. So that $99 fee goes to what exactly? Just your time, your marketing, your connections, hooking up all these different places uh, and getting hosts on the list? Totally. Yep. So we we have a uh, we have about fifty employees. Um, we spend millions uh, in marketing uh, and advertising, both for hosts and, and for members. Um, and what we provide is the technology. So when you become a member, you get the app and the website. Their full booking system, so you can search, find, stay, uh, all right through our ecosystem. That's interesting. You have fifty employees. What do they all do? So we have a, a lot of them in host recruiting. So we have a whole inside sales team that ho- that recruits new hosts. Big marketing team, uh, you know, getting the word out. Uh, we have an engineering team of about seven who are building the product. Um, engineers are very expensive. Yeah. Uh, and then we've got a, a large customer service team. And so customer service, both for the hosts and for our members, uh, always, you know, almost 24-7 providing services for them. Um, and we're a fully remote team. So we're actually, we're all over the country. I'm excited because I think it was last month, Colorado tipped the scales for the most employees. Oh, good. Well, that's nice yeah. to, to see yeah. you're employing Coloradans, right? Uh, as, as we're both in Colorado. I'm speaking with Joel Holland, CEO of Harvest Host Membership Service for really RVers. Can anybody else do it? If I'm just driving around in my in my car, can I, can my family and I, if we just want to sleep in the car, can we just show up and, and just park it and, and, and stay at somebody's winery? Unfortunately not. That That's the, the one big requirement for being a member is that you have a self-contained vehicle, which means you have a bathroom on board, uh, cooking facilities, water. And the reason is uh, when you go visit one of these wineries, as an example, you'll, you'll be there during business hours, but then they're going to let you spend the night overnight and you have no access to, you have the place to yourself, which is beautiful, but no bathrooms. So you need to be self-contained. So none of them have any kind of a hookup at all. So I can't get any kind of fresh water. I can't have any kind of place to empty out the tanks if I need to. It just all has to be self-contained and that's just the way it is. Yes. Now, <clears throat> never say never. Some of our hosts are very generous and provide connections, but but kind of the spirit of the program, they call it boondocking or dry camping. You're kind of using the RV um, as it was intended to pull in and, and it has its own tanks full of water. It has the, you know the bathroom and everything. They are very self-sufficient. So, um, yeah, you're using the RV like it was meant. It's like owning a truck and finally taking it off-road. <laughs> <laughs> right. Or towing a boat. Something yeah, exactly. like that, right? Uh, so, that's, that's, I guess that's an interesting concept. So, I guess as you're RVing, you can't just necessarily say, all right, we're, our destination is going to be uh, somewhere in Utah. We're going to go to uh, maybe the Moab area as we're towing a couple of dirt bikes. So, it's not like we can go to somebody's winery or, or whatever, somebody's property, and park it there for a couple of days, do our activities, and then leave. 
Correct. Yep. What, what you would want to do is, is go there, you know, support the business, buy a couple bottles, and then you could leave your, you know, leave and go experience Moab, of course. And we have great hosts all over that area. Uh, and the hosts understand it. They're like, Hey, you came, you supported us, go have some fun. Um, but don't overstay your welcome. So are there minimum purchases? Are, are there requirements? What if, what if I'm just a cheapskate and I just hang out at this guy's house, uh, outside his house and, and I just use his land and leave? Yeah, it's interesting. Most people aren't cheapskates, which is great. Um, I think there's this, there's this social contract that they're receiving something and they want to give something back. That's like built into us, like caveman style. <laughs> um, and so there is no requirement. We have a code of conduct where we say, you know, please support your your generous hosts with a purchase. We recommend a minimum of twenty dollars. Um, our members tend to go above and beyond. The average they spend is fifty dollars. That tends to correlate with how much a campground would cost. So essentially, they're just taking the cost of the campground, giving it to the small business, but walking away with a great bottle of you know Pinot or or some delicious fresh produce. And that must be the hook for the host then to say you are going to as Harvest hosts send me people, or at least suggest to people that hey, this this is a good place to stay. I have a really cool area here, and uh, I I might make some sales because of it. Absolutely, yeah, you nailed it, man. I'd like to I'd like to hire you. You'll <laughs> okay. be our fifty first employee. No, <laughs> Perfect. But the, that's the pitch to hosts. It's it's no cost to join the program. If you have a place, if you have a small business with a product to sell, and you're looking for more customers, all we need is a place for them to park. We don't charge you anything to be in the program. There are no contracts, no lock-in. Just try it. And if you love it, we'd love to have you. Does that mean that some hosts are trying to compete against other hosts for this business? In other words, are they improving their parking areas? Are they maybe offering some hookup service? Are they offering specific maybe products priced at a point of 50 or less dollars for these folks who might be coming to their property and and say, hey, come stay with me over here in Palisade instead of staying with that guy over there in Fruta. No, the nice thing is we have such a large membership base. We, we have over 250,000 members. When you become a location, you're going to get plenty of business. I mean, that's what we say. So in Palisade, as soon as you turn it on, the, the spigot opens. You'll have members every day, as many as you want, um, and you won't run out. And by the way, your next door neighbor can be in the program and you're not even competing against each other. There's plenty of business to go around. Right. But do you think those any of those businesses are, are, are maybe finding a way to then enhance their business and attract more of the folks on a, on a daily basis? So let's say the one of them is, is really, really nice, but they're already booked. So some of the other ones go, hey, you know what, maybe, maybe I want some of this business too and, and I'm going to improve my service. Totally. So there's two, there are two ways that they're doing that. One, some of our hosts, you know, they're making over $50,000 a year from our members and they're going, wow, like we could find a couple more spots. And so our successful hosts are finding more places, um, to put, to put members. Uh, and then second, our host team helps our hosts find products to sell, just like you mentioned. So farms is an example. Maybe they don't have a product that maybe they sell beef and someone doesn't want to buy a cow, <laughs> but they're like, hey. <laughs> what, what do you mean? I don't want to yeah, buy a cow. There's no room in the RV for a cow. So <laughs> so maybe maybe you do a farm tour, right? So charge $25 for a farm tour, put the kids on the back of a tractor, right? or do a hay bale tour. So those are the sorts of products that we help them come up with. 
Oh, no, that's that's fantastic, and that that makes perfect sense for those kinds of places. Can so so some of these hosts then could host more than just one RV or family, or they could just say one is our limit, and that's all we want, or we might want two or three or ten. Absolutely. And it's totally up to the host. So if you have space for 10, Hey, let's have 10. If you only have space for one, that's okay. You know, and, and, um, and you can choose the dates you're available, right? Some hosts are really busy on the weekends. So they black out weekends, but during the week, Hey, open arms, we've got so much space. So it's a really good way to fill your unused inventory. And probably on certain holidays, you might not want to be bugged over the, let's say, Thanksgiving holiday, Christmas, you know, that sort of thing. You don't want people lighting off fireworks on New Year's there and you're at your farm. That's right. That's right. <laughs> starting a fire or something, right? <laughs> yes. No, I, I, I don't think we're ever going to see fireworks in our state again. I think drone drone light yeah. shows are the new thing. That's what they're doing in my little town here is Castle Pines. They're going to be doing the drone show at... Yeah. It's not going to be the same as the fireworks, but hey. No, it's you know. not. But we're going to look back on this one day and go, I can't believe we used to send incendiary <laughs> devices up and to explode in the forest. That's well, you crazy. know, Aspen used to have some really good fireworks, too. And and so it was it was nice while those lasted. Yeah, exactly. The good old days. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. My guest is Joel Holland. He's the uh, CEO of Harvest Host, a membership service for RVers. Do you have a certain type of RV person or, or family uh, that that? It tends to like this type of service. Yeah. Anyone who really enjoys having fun. <laughs> no, it's, it, it really, it really runs the gamut. So we have members who are young families, but we have a lot of members who are retired and are traveling because they're just, they're so excited to go see parts of the country they've never seen before. So a lot of our members are um, older, 55 plus retired, um, six figure incomes, and they're just out having the time of their lives. Um, no doubt anyone who likes to sip you know, spirits or brews or wines, this is a no brainer. But if you like going to museums and farms, we've got that too. So, so there's, there's a little something for everybody. Um, one of my favorite hosts is right down the street here in Dotsero, Stoneyard Distillery. And you can go over there and taste all these um, spirits made from distilled beet sugars. And, and I'll tell you what, after you taste a bunch, it's nice to not have to drive anywhere. Well, sure. So, so, <laughs> so, the program's perfect for everybody. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, some people have said that if you are even drinking a little bit and you're in a vehicle that could be moved by the person who's drinking, there could be an issue there. I don't think that's the case in in this situation, but... Nope, nope. Yeah. In this situation, you, you you can crawl back home. That's yeah. fine. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, in Larkspur, <laughs> just down the road from me in Larkspur, there's a guy who's making uh, sugar beet uh, distilled. Uh, I think it's whiskeys and and yeah. uh, vodkas and all kinds of great stuff. They're so they're so good, you know, and, and they're smooth. And that, that, that I was impressed. So talk more about some of these other unique hosts. Where what are some of those experiences that uh, we could all enjoy? Yeah. So I'll give you a couple examples just from my personal <laughs> experience tripping, you know, driving across the country in the last couple of years, but driving across 70 through Kansas, I stopped at a farm run by nuns and all three nuns are 80 years old. One makes alpaca scarves, one makes soaps and one gives massages. So I got a <laughs> massage from an 80 year old nun on oh, an alpaca farm. That sounds like I the start think, of a joke, Joel. Think, it does. Totally. <laughs> and, and I'll be honest, like I've told that story so many times that's what you get with, with Harvest Host. You get really cool stories. Um, driving through Nebraska, I went to Golden Spike Tower, which is the largest train yard in the world. Over 100,000 trains, couple and decouple every day. And you can go up and actually watch that, which is really cool. Um, also in Kansas, I went down to the Stratica Underground Salt Museum. And you can watch them blasting salt out of the 
I, you know, I don't know if you knew where salt came yeah. from. I've never, I didn't. <laughs> oh no, I've been and, to, uh, what we went to, uh, what was it? Hutchinson, Kansas. Uh, uh, my girls are competitive baton twirlers. So we've cool. done different, uh, road trips for regionals and other baton trips. Right. And so we were in Hutchinson, Kansas, and we toured one of the salt mines where you go down yes. in the mine and yes. you are there in, it was really cool. Well, listen to this. They're one of our hosts. Oh. So that's a, that's a harvest host location. <laughs> so I've go. been there and I've gone down. It's cool. Oh, that's perfect. Uh, what other, it, it, I guess you're in every state of the union. Are you up in Alaska yes. and Hawaii? I mean, not that you could RV to Hawaii right now. No, but we are. I take pride in that. We're in all 50 states. Um, we have a lot of great ones in Alaska. Uh, Hawaii, we, we also have hosts, not as many. It's more difficult to get your RV there. You probably start there with it. Um, but yes, we're everywhere. We have, we have, we have over 6,000 locations um, all over North America. I mean, you can't turn around without finding a cool place to go. Have you seen any traditional campgrounds that have then wanted to be a host or, or tried to, let's say, you, you buy an old R, uh, KOA campground where it has 25 hookups? Are they trying to become a host or are they happy just being, you know, their, their 25 hookups and, and being traditional RV uh, areas? Campgrounds are not hurting for business these days. So, so they're really, they're doing well with their, their model. And then we partner very, you know, we are very much a partner with campgrounds because I mentioned it earlier, but our members, they, they tend to go to a campground either before or after going to a host because they want to get that hookup. They want to dump the tanks, get the water, get the electricity. Uh, and so anytime we have hosts near a campground, that campground gets more business from our members. So we play very nicely together. Uh, have you had some hosts that said, maybe this just isn't for me. I've had some bad experiences with some of the people that have come and stayed at our, our you know, whatever, uh, and then decided, all right, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to pull out. No, you know, fortunately that almost never happens and, and, you know, never say never, but our members are just a very, they're a happy bunch, right? These are travelers who just love being out on the road. Um, they're coming with good attitudes and, and they're respectful. They're kind of like campers, you know, pack it in, pack it out mentality, uh, leave no trace. They very much follow that, um, that mentality. So really the bigger problem we've had recently has been locations that can't get employees, right? We've seen this in the Valley, we've seen it everywhere, but tasting rooms who don't, who don't have enough employees to run the tasting room. And they're saying, Hey, we have to close this weekend. So we're going to have to ask your members not to come. That's been the bigger problem. What do you think that is going to play in the future of RV travel? Is that going to be one of the sticking points? Is it going to be continued high gas prices or maybe a possible recession, depression kind of situation that could then influence as we go forward uh, RV travel in the future? Yes, I, I think the employment thing is going to take care of itself because I do think we're going to go into a recession. And, and that's, I don't even think that's doomsday because it might not be a bad recession, but just historically, every time the Fed has done what it's done, we've gone into a recession. There's no reason to think this time's different. And I think that that's going to end up having people go back to work, right? A lot of people had stimulus checks that good for them, gave them a bit of free time. Uh, so I think the employment thing takes care of itself. Gas prices always take care of themselves. You know, let's not forget that it was 2020 where gas was negative priced. Oil was negative priced. People were paying to store oil. <laughs> and now it's, of course, $150 a, a you know, barrel. But these things always come around. So I wouldn't be surprised if we're chatting this time next year and gas is half the price it is today. Oh, 
your lips to God's ears. I mean, seriously, because <laughs> <laughs> it is, uh, you know, there's such a ripple effect. And I was just actually uh, talking to a trucker who was trying to get his truck serviced here in Colorado. He was driving into Denver for a drop off a load and then pick up one and then head out. And he was trying to get some service and he can't find any uh, engine oil. I mean, just just regular engine oil to get his oil changed for his truck. And he's waiting out somewhere to try to get uh, engine oil. So there's, there's such a, a, an effect right now that we're not seeing the repercussions of, I think, until, you know, months down the road. And by the way, how weird is it? What a recalibration it's been for us as humans to have to wait for stuff. Yeah, right? Like, right. I mean, I like to order something and then get it. And now you're like looking at ordering things and they're like, yeah, in six months to 12 months, you'll get it. I'm like, I don't even know who I'm going to be at that point. Like, Come on. I know. It's really depressing, crazy all at the same time. What is next? As I'm speaking with Joel Holland, CEO of Harvest Host, a membership service for RVers. What is next for Harvest Host? Where do you go from here? How do you get maybe the next greatest, biggest um, host to uh, have on your service? Totally. So, So we have... Over 6,000 hosts, I'd love to get that up to 10,000 you know, as quickly as possible by the end of next year. So if you have a location um, and you want more business, you have room for RVers to park, we would love to have you in the program. We don't charge anything. We will send you a lot of business and really great people. We'll send you really friendly customers. If you're an RVer, we have 250,000 members. I'd like to get that to a million. I think there are you know, easily you know, there are 13 million RV owners in North America. Um, this program is really fun. So check us out, harvesthost.com. You can learn all about it. I promise you won't be disappointed. And are you looking to find specific places? Are you looking for that Kodak moment where it's over the Pacific Ocean that has the greatest sunset view ever? Or are you looking for uh, something right next to uh, you know, a geyser that's spewing all the time? I mean, are you looking for like those really unique hosts that could uh, give unique experiences? We're looking for everything. So if you've got, if you hey, if you've got that view by a geyser, heck yeah, we want you. But but also if you're in, you know, if you're near Denver, um, like we have a winery in Denver, great location because a lot of our viewers want to go into the city and there aren't a lot of places to park. So location's important. The experience is important. It's always a balance. But you always have a Walmart. Maybe, <laughs> except for a lot of WalMarts these days say no overnight parking, including you know ours down the street here. So that's getting harder and harder. Oh, really? Interesting. Because I thought they always basically had this. You know, it, it was almost an unwritten rule that any RVer could park at a Walmart because uh, they Walmart knows they're going to go just like these Harvest hosts know that they're oh, going to yeah. come in and go shopping. Yeah, that's changing, unfortunately. Do you think that this service is a way to entice or encourage more people to try life in an RV? Well, I think if you're listening. And, you're, and you haven't tried RVing, you should check it out. So here's what's here's what's amazing. And obviously I'm biased. I think RVing is, a, look, I love plane travel. I do it all. But there's something about a road trip that is invigorating. You get in this vehicle, whatever kind of vehicle it is, you hit the road, bright-eyed, wind in your hair. You get a lot, a lot of time to think, right? You get a lot of time to just think about life. And then you're constantly seeing new things. So it's very stimulating. Um, this year, 72 million Americans are going to go RVing. It's a huge number. And a lot of them are renting. And there's some really great places to rent, outdoorsy.com, rvshare.com. You can rent a, a unit and just try it out. I think you'd be amazed at how much fun it is. I did a, um, a RV trip when the Broncos went to Super Bowl 33. I think it was the one in Miami. Uh, the radio station, KOA Radio, I was working for, the, the, the year prior, 
they sent everybody and their brother except for me uh, down to San Diego for that Super Bowl. Well, the Broncos win. They make the next Super Bowl down to Miami. They're playing the Falcons, and they wanted to get people down there, but they spent so much money over budget to the <laughs> San Diego Super Bowl. They wanted to find creative ways to get uh, reporters down to uh, Miami. So they put me in an RV all by myself. I was uh, I, I stocked up at we had a deal with 7-Eleven, so I stocked up with some 7-Eleven foods and and uh, all the Ed McCaffrey end zone O's that are like uh, Cheerios. It was his version of Cheerios stocked in the in the in the thing in my in my mountain bike, and I drove from here to Atlanta and Miami, stopping in some of the hometowns of the Bronco players along the way, talking to their families and coaches and those sort of things, and then stopped in uh, Atlanta. So that was and then made it all the way down to. Uh, Miami for the game, and then drove all the way back in three days from Miami. That was that was a long way, um, but it, that was basically my experience in an RV, and it, it was fine. It, it, but it was not, it, I I think for me it would be nice to have a a truck like a uh, a pickup truck that's towing a trailer. That way you can separate your house from your car. You know what I mean? That's how I do it. I literally have a truck that pulls a trailer. And so you can go park, leave the trailer. And then all of a sudden you've just got yourself the vehicle you love. Absolutely. Yeah. It was, it, it, I'm telling you driving through Kansas when it was a little windy and it was a little tough to drive. <laughs> I made it from St. Louis all the way back to Denver in one day. That's awesome. Oh yeah. I'm glad. So, so you, you, you've experienced it now. Imagine doing that and getting to stop at a winery in Kansas. Oh no, I'd love it. I, I'd love to where you can just drive maybe for like two hours or three hours and you know, yep. that would be way better. <laughs> way better well joel thank you so much for uh for sharing all of this I, I wish you all the success in the world uh especially a fellow coloradan here um the ceo of harvest host membership service for rvers joel thank you so much for being here thank you jason this is a lot of fun i appreciate it happy travels <laughs> yeah thanks joel you too all right their website once again is harvesthost.com uh it's a it's it, this is a really simple interesting concept one of those you know, head slappers. Why didn't I think of that? I do think there is something though to that whole take a take the kids on a permanent road trip or buy a sailboat and just sail around the Caribbean or sail around the world uh, so they can see the world, learn from the mean streets of America or or the high seas uh, from the school of hard knocks, if you will. I think there's a lot to learning. Uh, in those situations, but I also think there's a lot to learning in a more structured, traditional school setting because they learn so much from their friends. Sometimes of it is sometimes it is bad. I get that. I don't like that. Um, but <laughs> anybody who's listening to this knows that friend that introduced you to something probably your parents didn't want you to know or see or hear, right? Uh, <laughs> especially now with the internet everywhere and all the kids having phones and all the kids texting and and having access to the internet and it's really hard to control all that stuff but i think it'd be uh it'd be fun maybe a summer thing i i don't have the money for it now because we're spending all our money on baton trips maybe we can do a uh a baton road trip one of these days and then grab the rv and head to <laughs> I don't know. We'll see if the girls would want to do that. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or anything you want to uh, mention to me, please go ahead and uh, send it to me in any of the contact links in the description of the show. Thanks again for being here. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the Traffic Guy. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring.